Welcome to the Unfathomable Podcast with Elizabeth Wells. This podcast, this series, is called On Love and Loss, Grief and Renewal, Spirit and Sorrow. And this episode five is on God and grief. And if you are listening to this as your first introduction to this podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to the previous ones because it will give you some context about what I'm going to be speaking about today. I recorded this podcast on God and grief and then met with an acquaintance of mine and they were telling me about what happened when their father died and it, it so astounded me that I'm adding this to the podcast but putting it as an addendum at the beginning of the podcast. So this friend of mine, this uh, good acquaintance I've known for some time, he said to me when his father died, the priest said to him, your father died because you didn't have enough faith. And I, I'm just astounded by that or that a religious figure or leader would say that to anybody. So my pal was of the Catholic faith and when his father was ill, he said he would get up in the early, early morning, in the middle of the night, and he would pray for him and he would do intercessionary prayer and he would then go to his father's and anoint him with oil and he said he was in constant prayer for his father. And when his father died, this same priest refused my friend communion because he said he had strayed from the Catholic Church. And I asked my friend, did anybody know what you were doing? He said, no. He said, back in the day, it was only the deacons and the priests and who had the authority to do intercessionary prayer. Everybody else was not considered worthy of that privilege. And he said, you wonder why I completely left the Catholic Church? I was flabbergasted that a religious leader would say that kind of thing to anybody. And that was many years ago, but it happens today too. It happens today too. So to continue on with this podcast about God and grief, here we go. Podcast number four, I mentioned somewhere in there not to use God when comforting people. I want to amend that statement because God and faith, spirit and religion, spirituality, all of it can be of great, great comfort to many, many people when they grieve. And I honor that. And there is a certain population or a certain part of the population that when they grieve are not comforted by the language of God or religion or spirituality. And that is what I'm going to talk about today, along with when to use God and your religious faith to comfort another person. So welcome. I suggest that you refrain from using God as a source of comfort unless you know somebody really, really well 
and where they are at after the death of their loved one. And you know the trajectory of their faith because death can change all the cards. When my mom moved on, my relationship to divinity creator was challenged. I could no longer meditate or pray in the way I did before, and I felt like I lost faith. My mom was, and is, and continues to be, my spiritual partner and community. She and I went on these journeys and traveled these paths together since I was a little girl. We meditated together. We went on retreats together. We did yoga together. We prayed together. We went to talks together. But after she passed, when I tried to sit and meditate or pray, I would weep instead and my thoughts reeled back to haunting memories of her last days that brought me only anguish. I was thrown into a place where I questioned everything that I thought. That which I knew with my mom, I now doubted, and that caused me grief. That which I knew for my entire life, because my mom was the one I believed with, I knew with, I felt with, I dreamed with about my life and hers and our lives together. A friend, a new friend who had lost her daughter asked me with so much proof, proof meaning dreams and feelings about my mom. She said, why do you still doubt? How is that? And I explained how deeply we were connected in this world. And I explained how traumatized I was. And all of this mixed with doubt be, to become a, like a Molotov cocktail mix that was really messing with me. I've said before, the brain can be a terrible place to live when it's traumatized. I could not reconcile what happened with a god. The typical things that people said in trying to help did not help. She's in a better place. I wasn't. <laughs> You're bringing her down by grieving. I mentioned this in another podcast. At least three different, quote, spiritual people said that to me. Really? How do you know that? And besides, I would say, you can't bring down the enlightened. They only want to lift you up. Talk of karma turned my stomach. Someone said to me, well, I just think it's karma. If karma is true and exists as a principle, it is one that is certainly rarely understood, if at all, by the people of this world. We throw it around like we know what it means and what we're talking about. But really, I don't think we do. And people use it as an answer to all of one's questions. Like there, patent done, it's karma. Karma doesn't answer 
all of one's questions. Someone else I met in the year after my mom passed said, well, I think it's just a lesson about detachment and teaching you to get more detached. I'm a nonviolent person, but I wanted to slap this woman silly. Because this is spiritual crap trying to bypass human pain. First, you don't need to make lessons out of death and grieving. And second, this idea of, oh, you're too attached? No. I'm grieving. And if I'm too attached, what is wrong with attachment? It is the nature of relationships and human life. And the two, T-O-O, is a qualifier that trivializes our relationship with the one who went on. Everyone grieves. Even those held up to be God-men and women, the sainted and the high holy ones of every religion, Christ, Rama, the Dalai Lama, Thich Nhat Hanh, rulers of countries, kings and queens, weep at the separation from their loved ones. Weep for the world's suffering and ignorant ways. They are touched by grief and they shed tears. They feel sorrow. So how dare someone try to dampen your pain, which is part of your life force coming out and trying to express something, trying to express love, love through tears, love through loss, love. Tears can be enormously healing, causing us to rest deeply after a good cry, ridding ourselves of toxins, evoking endorphins. How dare someone tell you that you are too attached and it's just karma? This language does not comfort. We bandy with words that become like razors for the grieving. Razors don't help, and band-aids don't heal. So I ask that you not use God in your language as your weapon to come to try to battle pain unless you know the trajectory of the person's faith. One billion percent that it will give comfort. Don't use karma or the laws of attraction or attachment or even the idea that your suffering will have meaning and serve a greater purpose one day. That suffering has meaning or will serve a purpose, I usually hear from religiously, spiritually, metaphysically oriented people. Leave all this behind if you want to give true comfort to those who grieve. There were people who thought they knew me because we've traveled in similar spiritual circles, but their language was off-putting. It was always off-putting to me. I tolerated it. It wasn't about love or comfort or compassion. In so many ways, they were saying, get over it faster, you'll be happier, move on. So while people's intentions may be good, or seemingly good, this is not love. 
Instead, it trivializes my process, my path, my journey, and what I'm moving through. Get over it. There's a reason. Don't grieve. It'll be all right. Don't suffer. Or there's a reason for your suffering. You don't know that. So don't try to bandage an open, gushing wound with these kind of words. I may create out of my sorrow. For example, this podcast. But I'm not going to say this is the reason for my suffering or a reason why my mom had to die or a reason for anything. There's no reason. But we do suffer. So what we do as a people is try to legitimize suffering in this way. And this I won't do. It's hard and it's hell, but I won't make suffering the martyr and hold it up to be this wonderful God-given thing so I can go on and serve with it. I am creating, as a direct result of loss, things that I will share. And maybe someone will benefit and maybe no one will. I don't know. I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it because it's saving my life. Because I have to. Because I want to. Because it is the only thing that makes sense to me at this time. Because as a creative human being, I have to create. I don't have a choice in this matter. I do what I do to survive. And if in sharing it, it serves you, then wonderful. But this is not coming from some great altruistic bone in my body. It's your belief or faith that may tell you suffering has a reason. But that is your faith and belief and may not be somebody else's. So don't push it on someone else thinking it's comforting them. It may, it may not. You know, when someone has a baby, do you say, hurry up and get over it. Come on out to the bar with me. No, their entire life has shifted, has changed. So why, when that baby dies, would you say in some form or other, hurry up and get over it? You can have another. God has a plan. Stop talking to me or at me or anyone else and listen instead with your heart. Just listen. And if there are God-given reasons for death or suffering in a million years, it does not make grief, losing someone, sorrow, easier. As if knowing death comes or someone in their older years may die, it doesn't make death easier. It doesn't. And know that when someone is suffering or in pain or feeling great emotion, as when someone is in physical pain, pain and suffering and an emotion rule. You cannot try to be logical with someone's pain to talk them out of it. Their heart hurts, their belly aches, their head is overwhelmed. They're in traction. Maybe they can't get out of bed. Maybe they can't get to sleep. Maybe later, if there is some distance, 
from the emotions that are bringing us to our knees, maybe various threads of that can be looked at, unraveled, unfolded, untangled, or maybe not. We don't know until we walk the pathless path, until we walk the pathless path ourselves and take this journey. We don't know. And living in that unknown, in that vast and sometimes treacherous unknown, it's hard. There may be moments of relief and grace or comfort for the pain. Or it may be one long, cold, endless winter with no color at all. What will be for us in grief? And if there is an end to grief, or not, is not for someone else to determine or decide for us. And the platitude of we only want to see you happy, or soaring, or in your creativity, or however you were before, is not serving us. We have been changed by this experience and we are not who we were before. And that is difficult for people around us sometimes. And what happens instead is that we feel pushed. We feel that our pain is not being respected. You know, when someone is physically hurt, we attend to that hurt. When someone has a broken leg, we don't say, come out running with us. When are you going to get better? Well, you might ask, when are we going to get better? When are you going to get a cast off, right? When are you going to get the cast off? But we don't say, hurry up. We give them their time. We give them their time for their long healing process. And even when there's distance and years have passed, it doesn't mean we may not suffer still or think about our loved one deeply or miss them or feel grief that they're not here at the dinner table with us. Or we may feel in empathy for someone else who is now lost, someone they love, going through the same thing we went through years before. So I would refrain from saying what you think God or the goddess does or does not do or how my loved one feels now. As I said, this kind of rhetoric was nothing new to me, but after my mom passed, wow, it became acute. I heard it from everywhere. I heard it when my dad had passed too. But when my mom passed, I was traumatized and had less of an ability or tolerance to deal with it. Telling those who grieve in subtle or not so subtle ways that it's bad or wrong or to get over it faster. I mean, literally, I had somebody the other day, you're not over it yet? I mean, really? 17, 18, 19 months in, no, I'm not over it. I may never get over it. <laughs> I will certainly not get over your platitudes and the platitudinous language and attitude that reinforces a cultural paradigm that does not support those who deeply grieve and those who deeply love. I was recently in an office and one of the people that worked at this office, like an office manager or receptionist, said to me, well, you know, it's your time now. As if, oh, you have all this freedom now. 
My time, freedom? No. It's not one I want. And then she said, implying God, well, it's his time to have her. And I said to this woman, I said, I have a big beef with God and not sure what I believe anymore. I know she was trying to help me, but she was clearly missing the mark, trying to comfort and failing badly. And inside of myself, I was becoming increasingly upset because I could feel her wanting me and pushing me to be someplace I was not. And that pressure to hurry up and get over it, and like, I'm not good enough because I'm grieving, in her eyes, because your mother would want you to, or because God wants you to, is not the full truth. It's her truth, but not mine. And I wanted to say, please, I'm grieving, so just back off. But I smiled. I didn't. I didn't say much at all. And when she left the room, the tears came. Partly because no one could witness me. No one could witness this grief and be with me in my hurting heart. And the pushing and the pulling basically says, stuff your grief. And this is the worst thing to do. So later she finally said, well, you know, grief is love with no place to go. And I smiled and said, yes. That's another saying out there. And in my heart, I thought grief is so much more. And love is so much more. To say grief is love with no place to go sounds pretty simple and trite. With those words, we minimize what love is, and we minimize grief and how it feels, and we minimize the relationship and all the years and time or lack of time we had with the loved one who passed. Yes, loving someone and being loved by others helps but it doesn't ever replace what was lost. And while I say refrain from using God to give comfort, I also want to acknowledge that deep faith and speaking of God and prayer can comfort people. I know this because when people can touch that place in my heart who know me deeply, who can hear my suffering and my pain and then speak with reverence to a faith or a God that may be abiding. Then I well up with tears. I can hear. They can hear. We can be together. But I know that they have heard me deeply first. They don't come in with their swords trying to fix it. One of my sweet friends here is a very, very devout Christian woman. A deep, deep, deep life of prayer. You would never know she's a quiet Christian mystic living in the world. But she is so strong in her faith that she can hear me curse God up and down the room and laugh with me and smile and then pray for me and pray with me. She is not offended. And by her faith and her belief, I am not offended because we meet and feel for each other. And so if you know a person's faith, by all means, use 
the language of their faith, to give comfort. But you must know the person deeply, the circumstances of their person's death and the trajectory of their faith after their person has passed on. As I was thinking about this episode, I found out that someone I know, well, his wife lost a baby at 24 weeks in utero. The outpouring of community was outstanding, and their faith was clearly lifting them up. I could see their love of God was booing them up and holding them up their darkest hours. Witnessing this and witnessing their faith moved me deeply. In part because it was beautiful. And it was beautiful to see the community come out for them. And in part because I did not have that. I did not have a community around me when my mom passed. And I questioned my faith severely. Everything passed with her for a while. And so I heard a pastor at the service say about the baby that died that she was a, quote, sacrificial lamb. The devout parents may have agreed and been comforted. And if they were comforted, then I am glad for them. But in my heart, I personally cringed and I silently rolled my eyes at the word sacrificial lamb. People continued talking on about how great things will come how many will be served and healed and helped because of their loss. But I wondered in my heart what the mother really thought and felt, that we are strong or resilient, or that we will come out on top, or will become something or someone because of grief, is not necessarily true, not to mention additional pressure for the grieving while they grieve. While I may outwardly smile at the well-wishers' accolades who keep lauding praise for getting through or getting stronger, I think to myself, you don't see me in my darkest hours alone, crying out, wondering still what happened. As if the grieving state and what it brings will save and heal us all. Hallelujah! or that we will become more compassionate or have more open hearts because we lost. This is not true. I was just as compassionate now as I was before. I am not more because of loss. And in fact, sometimes I tolerate way less my tolerance for ignorant comments is less. Sometimes we snap more easily or we don't tell you what we really think because you, the uninitiated in this kind of grief, will not understand. But I guess that's not completely true. I think you can learn to understand without having suffered a great loss. Because I have friends, I have people in my life that do, that have, that listen. 
in speaking about God and grief and faith, be aware that things can change overnight. Believers have become atheists after loss. Faith gets challenged. And this is not weakness. This is not weakness. Everything gets questioned. People are suddenly untethered to this or any world. The opposite can occur too. Someone who has had no faith at all, no inkling or thought of spirituality or religion, after a loss, they can suddenly be searching and wondering if there is more. Did their child survive in some other alternate universe? Is their spouse or parent alive in an afterlife? For some people, they begin to grow a new wing into a corridor they never looked at before. So believers can become atheists and atheists can become seekers as if overnight. It's an experiment trying to comfort somebody who's grieving. I want to say, unless you know what will lift them up, don't go there. But I don't want to dissuade you from giving comfort. Maybe not trying to lift them up, but to give comfort. Think about someone you know who may be grieving or in the past has grieved. And think about their needs first. That's a lot to ask of anyone. Think about not your desire to fix them or for them to be happy. Happy is a word we often take out of our vocabulary, at least for a time. Seek to explore what might bring them peace, comfort, momentary relief from pain. I remember saying to someone right after my mom died, I just wanted to die. And I was not ever suicidal. I never wanted to actively take my life, but I didn't want to be here. And this friend kindly said, you don't want to die. You just don't want to be in so much pain. And this woman had lost very deeply in her life. And I knew she knew what she was talking about. I had had great empathy for her, and she now had great empathy for me. Every day I wanted to die, and every day I made strides to live. There are mysteries we may never understand, especially about death and the death of our loved ones. And so some of those mysteries cause great angst in our hearts. So leave trying to explain grief to someone who is grieving behind. Leave the stages of grief behind. Leave behind the pat answers. The phrases said in so many subtle and not so subtle ways that really damage the psyche of the one who's grieving. 
buck up, get strong, quash those tears. And as I said earlier, the inevitability of death, knowing that death comes or happens to the best of us, is not a panacea for grief. It doesn't make it easier to deal with. Sometimes just saying it sucks, calling a spade a spade is what we need to hear. Just saying, yeah, it's not fair, is what we need to hear. I have a friend whose daughter is in a court battle. And my friend one day was just exasperated and said, I am just pissing in the wind. And I said to her, you are. <laughs> we laughed. I mean, we just like, we just both laughed. I was just like, she's like, look what this is going on. And I said, yes, it's just, ugh. And we could both laugh at it together. I'm not trying to make her feel better. But I have her over for dinner. And we watch Antique Roadshow or the news. Talk about our days and nourish our bodies with good food. I met a man from England. He's a well-known medium. So that means he speaks with those passed on. He communicates with the dead for a living. I never had a reading with him, but I was at a conference where he was, and we had a personal conversation at the conference. He was mad. He said, it sucks. He said a lot more than that. He said he missed his dad, who'd been killed. He said it was messed up. He would have done anything for his dad again, to have his dad with him in life. He said to me, nobody is in this business because they want to be. Death is messed up. And he was talking about his grief. And it didn't matter that he felt life went on or that he believed in something more or that he'd see his dad again. It still hurt, knowing he had to live the rest of his life without his father. And yes, sometimes that helps us to embrace the hope that we will see our loved one again. But what will that realm be like? We miss them in this one, sitting next to us. We want them right close to us. He missed and grieved his dad and said, None of us really want to be doing this work. You want the person there to comfort you, to give them comfort. You love them, to have joy with them, to bounce into their room and say, guess what happened to me today? To hold you close when no one else does, to laugh with like you never laughed before. And it doesn't matter if you know they go on or if you know there is more because you still grieve the loss that they're not sitting there beside you right now. So while my faith left for a long time, I knew silence would save me. But I couldn't even find that anymore. What I did was to sit with my parents in the evening I would light a ghee lamp, kind of like an oil lamp made from clarified butter, ghee. And I would talk to them aloud. I wrote to them. I called them in. It was my sacred time with them. After my dad passed, a great mentor said to me, make father-daughter time every day. 
take some time to be with your dad. Ritualize it if you want. Light a candle. Burn incense. Say a prayer. Get flowers. Sit and call your dad in and talk to him. And I remember saying at the time, well, what if I have nothing to say? Because my father's and my relationship was often in the silence. We just could feel each other's presence so big that we often didn't have to talk. And she was said, well, then just sit there. Sit there with him. And as it turned out, I had a lot to say, and so did he. Extraordinary peace and revelation and gifts came from that time. And so now I continued that. I continued that in the evening after my parents, after my mom passed. And while I could no longer pray, I was able to ask that the prayers of my parents be heard. Because my only prayer for myself was to be with them. So I asked that their prayers be heard because I knew mine would not be answered anytime soon. I miss my mom's love. I miss her sweetness. I miss deep human connection with her. I miss feeling her love and loving her, her joy, her smile that lit up a room, our joy together, who I was with her, who we were together, my own DNA next to me in the room, her laughter and her eyes, knowing she is in the next room or coming out for dinner, going to the store for her and getting something I know she'll love, buying her pajamas or t-shirts or a sweater. I miss people watching with her. She was the greatest people watcher of all time, watching TV with her, the great shows of music and dance or humor or Wheel of Fortune or Jeopardy, or watching the fashions on TV or the dresses at the Academy Awards or the outfits of people we watched coming for lunch at the local cafe. Her loving me and me loving her. A love greater than life itself. I miss it all. Someone I know missed their sister one day in Korea. And she said she felt so much better just having called her and heard her sister's voice and tears instantly fell from my eyes. I was so happy for her and so sad for me. You can feel two opposite things at the same time. Just hearing her sister's voice gave her comfort, more comfort than anything else in the world. And my mom's voice was like that to me. I could call her from anywhere in the world, and her voice immediately calmed me down. Life brings us pleasure and pain, praise and blame, brings us all the opposites. Yes, and I could be happy for her and sad for me. The following piece was written and created into artwork. I'll put it in the show notes. I wrote... A wife asked her husband, What do I do for my friend when I visit her? 
She grieves her mother much. The husband asks the mother, What does my wife do for your daughter? The mother's soul answered, There is nothing for your wife to do. Just go there and be with my daughter and love her. When you see grieving friends, leave behind your brandishing swords of earthly wisdom. Quote, all things are for your growth, or quote, hope for a better day. Leave behind your healing ways. Advice-giving, fix-it tools with your desire to relieve suffering. Even the greatest of healers say foolish things. Be silent before your grieving people. Words are useless here. You know little of the mysteries of death and the sacrament of sorrow. Instead, bow before grieving loved ones. Be an empty vessel in their presence, and you will have given everything to them in love. In love. In love. You have been listening to the Unfathomable Podcast with Elizabeth Wells. I invite you to sign up for my newsletter at elizabethwells.com. That's Elizabeth with a Z and Wells is W-E-L-L-E-S dot com. Where the spirit of play meets the spirit of peace. Thank you for listening today. Thank you.